Thank you, Hyun, for a thoughtful prayer once again for all of us. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Mark Warrington. Mark Warrington is currently uh, director of a Baptist student ministry at, at UT Dallas uh, for, I think, it, uh, three and a half years. And uh, introducing Mark, he's from, uh, he, he's from North Texas. He's, a, uh, he, he's from a Lubbock area, the North area, but he's been everywhere. I think he's, uh, he knows Texas better than anybody because he went to a school in the, um, the, the sort of a center of his state, Angelo State. And then uh, he, he also did a THM at Dallas. So he's no stranger to Dallas at all. And then he, you know, I found out that he was also a BSM director and adjunct professor at the Houston Baptist University. So those of you from Houston, he knows Houston. And then he's been here in Dallas and we've been praying for a mission partner, ministry partner for UT Dallas. Ever since, you know, we started a church, you know, one, one thing I really like about our church is we are sitting on gold mine called the UT Dallas. So, and then UT Dallas, we have a several, you know, students right now in UT Dallas in our church and also former alumni. So those of you uh, related, I mean, current and former, Comet, uh, what is a Comet? Please give your thumbs up. Let me see how many thumbs up we have. You have a family member, you know, who, okay. All right. Okay. We have, uh, you know, I, I think uh, someday the comet will exceed the number of uh, Longhorns. And so UT Dallas is getting better and better and, you know, more, more students, uh, more uh, students going to UT Dallas. So, you know, any church that does a campus ministry is really blessed. And uh, Mark Warrington is a very qualified and fruitful and, uh, I mean, well-respected uh, well campus minister we know. So I'm really glad that this year God connected us to Mark Warrington. And without further ado, let's welcome uh, uh, Mark Warrington and uh, let's all wave or whatever. Let's, you know, and then if you can turn on your screen, that would be great. That encourage, you know, our speaker. So let's wave as our, you know, token of uh, welcome. And Mark is all yours. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Um, I want to say it's an honor to get to speak with you guys today. And uh, I appreciate the, the risk Pastor Paul took on letting, letting me chat as well. Um, and uh, wow, those were those were glowing words. Uh, I want to say from the beginning I, that I've met Pastor Paul and uh, experienced uh, y'all's church. Uh, you guys have been such a great encouragement to us. Um, so I just, I just want to say thanks to you guys as well. Um, and man, if there was ever a year that uh, I needed encouragement, it is this year. <laughs> uh, and I think we could all say the same. Uh, 2020 has been, has been tough. Uh, and so regarding 2020, um, I don't know. I, I, I've just, it's just been the universal kind of, uh, refrain is that how, how tough and terrible and tricky uh, 2020 has been. Uh, my wife showed me this little, she likes to cross stitch. That's one of her little hobbies lately is cross stitching. And so she showed me this cross stitching pattern uh, and it was a dumpster on fire and it said 2020 on there. And I just, I just thought that was, that was perfect. Um, but uh, in my quiet times um, and in my time, the word, uh, as I've been reflecting on 2020, with everything that you guys prayed for about the the political uh, crisis and uh, the racial tensions and the pandemic, uh, the murder hornets, uh, the fires in in Australia and and in uh, California. Heck, we went on vacation to uh, northern New Mexico just a few weeks ago, and about the second day in at night, I can see this ridge on fire, and sure enough, there was a forest fire there, and. And so it was like 2020 is just, just, just in full display of this trickiness. So in my quiet times and in my time of the word, uh, I've been reading through John um, 
and especially right at the end of John 16 and John 17, uh, there's some some really cool things that that are unfold here. And so uh, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. It's just a little little nugget that I that uh, just really presented itself um, in in that quiet time, and I wanted to share it with you. And then I want to kind of tie that to, to how um, it has sort of inspired my heart uh, to to serve in college ministry. Um, especially at UTD, uh, but all over Texas, as Pastor Paul said, there's there's so much work to be done. Uh, I was chatting with uh, with Mo earlier about uh, his involvement at uh, UT Austin too, with the Christian organization there, and that's just exciting to hear. So today's verse is going to sort of, I don't know, kind of maybe give us some insight there. Um, so we're going to be in John 17, 1 through 5. And... Uh, I, I don't have a fancy PowerPoint or anything, so we're just gonna like leave this uh, parked up. Um, and and um, I don't know uh, if you wanna afterwards, you're you're free to uh, keep keep looking at my uh, my face. It's not the most attractive, uh, but neither was Jesus apparently. So uh, that's that's okay. Um, so uh, today I want to do a few things. Um, We are going to see uh, in this fascinating glimpse uh, in John 17, 1 through 5, we see him start a prayer. Uh, and in this prayer, we see his heart. We see Jesus's heart um, in praying to the Father. And um, we see that there is this just priority, overwhelming priority uh, of Jesus his number one priority was to bring glory to the Father. And then therefore, as followers of Jesus, we too should strive towards that same example to, to prioritize bringing glory to the Father. And we can do that by bringing glory to God by knowing him and making him known. Uh, so that's kind of what I want to look at today in John 17 verses 1 through 5. Um, and before I read it, there's this, this kind of... Uh, we, we call it the Westminster Shore Catechism. It's this summary of Christian doctrine. It's like 107 questions and answers uh, written by the Westminster Assembly in London uh, over 350 years ago. And catechesis is like literally an oral religious instruction. It's, it's education. And so it's kind of, kind of handy. And the Presbyterians, some Congregationalists, and some Baptists use it. But one of the I guess really the first question that uh, it, it starts off with is what is the chief end of man? Like, what is his purpose? And then the answer to that, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, I had always picked up on that glorify God part. That makes sense. My chief purpose is to glorify God. But sometimes I'll forget about that last part, to enjoy him forever. You see, the, the writers of the catechism, this Westminster Catechism, are picking up on something huge. And the passage we're going to look at today is going to unfold this before us. But the chief end of man is to glorify God, and tied to that is to enjoy him forever. So our enjoying God forever is wrapped up with glorifying God. Our enjoyment in God is tied to God's glory. That's exciting. Okay. So let me read uh, John 17, 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he looked upward to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Sorry, I just realized that I'm reading from a different translation. Let me read this translation. After Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Okay, so I, I kind of want to set the stage here a little bit. And this is kind of this will help you see how I kind of stumbled uh, across this, or it really came alive to me in, in some of my quiet time. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we're at the night before Jesus's crucifixion, and they have just celebrated the Passover meal, the Last Supper, and in chapters 14 through 16, we have what is called the farewell discourse. It's his parting words to his disciples. But parting words... Uh, 
there is some sadness there, but it's not a, a message of just sadness and despair. Tied into these parting words is hope. In fact, even uh, victory. Listen to how Jesus concludes the message uh, at the end of chapter 16 here. I'll just read it from my translation. Uh, verse 33, I've told you these things that in me, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble and suffering, but take courage, I have conquered the world. Now, when I read that verse, guys, man, it was like, oh, this is 2020 right here. Oh, oh my gosh, right? In the world you may have trouble and suffering. Check, right? Dumpster fire, murder hornets, pandemic. Um, I swear my, my coworker, Jordan, uh, got into a, a car wreck. Somebody hit his car um, twice over the course of two days. And his dog broke his arm. Uh, the dog broke his arm. I mean, for my poor brother, Jordan, he's experiencing 2020 just like the rest of us, right? It is full of trouble and suffering. So when I saw this verse, I, I just, uh, I exploded. I, I, it just, it really hit home. Um, and, and so listen to what he says here, though. Uh, Jesus says, in this world, you have trouble and suffering, but take courage. By the way, this is apparently one of the uh, only places where there is this encouragement given, uh, this word to take courage. I have conquered the world, is what Jesus says. So no matter how crazy 2020 gets, uh, we can rest assured that Jesus has conquered the world. Um, that should bring us peace, uh, according to uh, the phrase there before it there. Um, but uh, so there, there is this message of hope. So that's exciting. So the next five verses then begins... Um, this this prayer, what we what is known as the high priestly prayer. Uh, so at this point, we have left the upper room, and now we're headed out of the city uh, across the Kidron Valley uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so literally, the the hours at hand here. Um, it's the final moments uh, before the, the crucifixion, um, and so Jesus begins to pray. And in this prayer, uh, this is pretty much the bulk of chapter 17. This prayer is sort of summarizes his own words, in his own words, his relationship with the Father and the relationship that he wishes his disciples to maintain with him and the Father. And so uh, it's divisible into three parts. Uh, Jesus's prayer concerning himself, which is verses 1 through 5. Uh, his prayer for his disciples, 6 through 19. And then his prayer for believers, uh, both present and future, those that will hear, uh, that's us, in 20 uh, verses 20 through 26. Um, and what's really neat about this prayer, though, is that, um, so, so in the other Gospels, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Jesus's prayers are mentioned a lot, um, but they're not, not so much, like, looked at word for word, uh, with the exception of, like, the Lord's Prayer, um, but in the fourth gospel, in John, there are two recorded prayers of Jesus, uh, in addition to uh, this one. Uh, the first one is at the tomb of Lazarus, um, and then, and that's, that's in John 11, uh, verse 41 through 42. And, it, and, it's, and, it, and that one was kind of constructed uh, to meet the needs of the people who, who heard it. Um, uh, Jesus says, I said this for the benefit of the people standing here um, in verse 42. And, and then something similar can be said about uh, the prayer in John 12, 27 through 28. Um, and, and then this one, verse 17, it's, it's a prayer. They're, they're a prayer and, and they're looked at, but it's, it's not only a, a petition, but it's also a proclamation and a revelation, right? So this is kind of neat. So Jesus is praying, but it's recorded so that we, could, we can learn from it. It's instructive and he reveals some things. Um, and so it was meant to be heard uh, by the disciples and uh, by us readers today. So, so that's sort of the stage here. Um, so let me let me uh, revisit uh, verse one here, and I'm going to use my translation. Uh, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he looked upward to heaven and said, "Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you." All right. So. When Jesus had finished saying these things, that phrase kind of ties us back uh, to the previous two chapters, the, the whole farewell discourse, uh, his parting words. Um, and then he looks upward to heaven, this posture of prayer. Um, and then he says, Father, the time has come. Okay, so there's something kind of neat about this. Father, the time has come. First off, you see immediately a relationship that Jesus enjoys uh, with God, and that's his father. And 
there, there is this relationship that, that enables him. Uh, he has this, and so do we as Christians, we have this relationship where we can go to him in prayer. That's cool. What I also like is this part, the time has come. Now, um, repeatedly throughout the gospel of John, we are told that the hour has not yet come. The time has not yet come. Um, and then there's a point in, in chapter 12 uh, where these Greeks try to come and see him. And, and, and this is where Jesus then says the hour is, is impending. It, it has come. And so multiple times afterwards, as we're getting closer and closer to the actual crucifixion, uh, he says the time has come. So, so Jesus is like zeroed in, laser focused on this, this plan of uh, this, this ultimate mission of glorifying the Father. And he's aware of time. Um, and I don't know, this may be reaching too much, but I think that's, there's something there we can learn as, 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 as a people is, is to recognize um, that time should be acknowledged and paid attention to. In other words, we shouldn't just kind of laze around or, or lose track of time. Uh, we should budget our time. We should be intentional with our time. Jesus seemed to be very focused on time and, and focused on especially his mission and making sure it, it was, it was uh, coming about correctly. And so, I don't know, I think that's kind of neat. Uh, okay, so, <clears throat> Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. All right, so... Granted, this is a little complex, uh, but if you wrestle with it with me, I think we're, we're going to figure this out. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Okay, so uh, I, I was reading a, a commentary uh, by uh, this prominent evangelical scholar and author, D.A. Carson. He's probably, he probably has the, the gold standard of commentaries on John, and he defines glory as um, sort of this display of divine goodness. Um, when, when, you, when we read a hear of glory, we think of being clothed uh, like, like splendor. Um, but I, I really like what D.A. Carson was saying, this display of divine goodness. Okay, so that's glory, the noun. All right, but, but now we've got glorify, sort of the verb. Um, and so another commentary I was reading, they, they liked how they, they, they define glorify as perhaps the, the response of God's divine goodness displayed, uh, which that, that response is celebration, worship. So glorify the verb is perhaps best defined as divine goodness celebrated. All right. No, I think these kind of definitions are going to help us kind of unpack this. So Jesus is saying, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. All right? So celebrate your goodness. Clothe and splendor your son so that your son may clothe and splendor you. The response, this response to the divine goodness of God, his glory, right? So glorify your son. Now, we need to know right off the, right off the bat that it's okay for Jesus to asked to be glorified because Jesus is also God, right? Fully man and fully God. So there's not a problem there. So glorify your son so that your glory, uh, so that your son may glorify you. Now, uh, let's look at the grammar here for just a second. Glorify your son is the first phrase. And then this word, so that, this phrase, so that your son may glorify you. It's indicating purpose. The purpose of Jesus asking glorify your son is that your son may glorify you. So there's no selfishness here. It's, it's not hedonistic or, or yeah, selfish. It's, it's ultimately the purpose is so that the father may be glorified. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. And, and there's something huge wrapped up in this idea of Jesus saying to glorify your son. And notice that that is his prayer request, his, his one petition. Um, is to glorify, uh, is to be glorified. So wrapped up in being glorified um, is the requirement of the of Jesus's death on the cross, right? Because, and we're going to see here in a second that that is that is uniquely tied to this uh, this sort of petition. Uh, glorify your son, so that your son may glorify you. Tied up to that is is Jesus's death on the cross. Um, 
and 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 there and there's a problem there, right? Because for Jesus to die on the cross, that that is that is the cross is the symbol, not just this uh, you know necklace that we wear and and all that. It is a symbol of shame. It is it is a curse, right? Galatians three thirteen says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree from Deuteronomy 21, 23. So, so in order for Jesus to be glorified, there is this requirement that, that, he, that he dies on, on the cross. That is part of the, the process. And all of that is tied to the ultimate like, plan of Jesus uh, glorifying the Father um, and, and making, displaying God's goodness. Um, and, and again, remember, this is tied to, to man's salvation and redemption too. Uh, man being redeemed, uh, and, and that is all made possible because of God's glory displayed uh, Jesus with Jesus on the cross. So, uh, so Jesus prays for God to glorify the Son so that he could glorify him. And, and tied into that is Jesus' Jesus's work coming up on the cross. Okay, now let's look at verse 2. Just as you have given him authority over all humanity, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. All right, so there is, uh, verse 2 is is um, this kind of uh, correlative phrase. It's going to make a correlation here, and I want to kind of show you how they're connected. But verse 2 gives ground for the prayer requests at the end of verse 1. Um, so, Verse one ends with glorify your son for the purpose that your son may glorify you. And then there's this important phrase, just as this correlation, just as you granted him authority over all people. And then here's the purpose. Um, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. All right. So there's this sort of analogical pattern here between the end of verse one and verse two. So glorify your son for the purpose that your son may glorify you, just as you granted him authority over all people, for the that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, verse two is probably best understood as God's sort of pre-time, pre-temporal decision uh, to give his son authority over all people. Um, and this isn't authority that Jesus enjoys by being fully God as well, right? Um it's 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 more than that. It's it it refers to the Father's gift in eternity past uh, of His authority over all humanity, um, all on the basis of of Jesus's obedience to humiliation, death, resurrection, and exaltation. Um, so this is all part of that redemptive plan that God has had from before time uh, to redeem to redeem man. And, and that really puts God's goodness on display, that this was from the beginning um, part of the plan uh, to redeem man. Uh, so these two, these two things are tied. God glorify, Father, uh, the time has come, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you uh, just as you've given him authority over all humanity so that he may give eternal life to everyone uh, you have given him. So uh, as the fathers glorified before human beings, so they are brought to faith in the son and in the one who sent him and gain eternal life. That was the purpose of the grant of the authority that was given to, to Jesus to begin with. Um, by the way, in Psalm 2, uh, the psalmist reveals how the father has ordained the rule of the son over the earth. Uh, this really neat sort of uh, kind of prophetic psalm. Um, and then in John 5:27, we see that the authority that the son has authority to judge. And then in verse uh, chapter 10, verse 18, that Jesus uh, has the authority to take up his life. Um, and so, again, this verse uh, sort of demonstrates God's goodness uh, in that he has a pre-time plan for the redemption of man. So I like those definitions. Going back to the definitions of glory, God's displayed goodness, right? And then glorify the, the celebration uh, the response to God's God's goodness, and you can see all that wrapped up here at, at, in these sort of this verse at the end of verse one and verse two. Okay, um, so hopefully that's a little clearer than than mud here. But again, what I I want you to see is the purpose of that was for the glory of God, right? Um, and, and and then there's some other things that we're going to unpack here in just a second. Uh, so verse three is 
fascinating. All right. Now this verse caught me off guard when I read it. Um, and as I meditate on it, it catches me off guard. Here's what it says. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So when I, when I see Jesus give a definition here already, I'm like the, the, the student in me is like, okay, definition. Good. I need a definition. And what catches me off guard here is that eternal life is not defined by like quantity of life, like life everlasting or an ending prolonged duration. Um, rather, it's it's described by knowing God, the Father, by knowledge, by by like relationship, right? Knowing the Father and knowing the Son, right? So it's not prolonged duration in terms of quantity. It's it's rather quality, right? Quality of life, uh, which is derived from a relationship with with God, with the Father, and, and with Jesus. And also see here, too, how John ties um, ties both the Father and the Son to this, right? Uh, now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And I like how he specifies the only true God. Um, there's a lot of uh, false gods out there. Um, and so that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent, that is the definition of eternal life, that they know God. Um, and by the way, this, this word for know kind of uh, makes one, makes especially the, the, the Hebrew mind, uh, the Old Testament word for, for know, it, it makes you think of like the deepest possible like intimacy that you can have with someone in a relationship. It, it, is, it is a very intimate knowledge. Um, and so I don't know. This is just fascinating to me, right? Eternal life is defined as knowing. It's it's this relationship, not just a head knowledge, but a, but a relational, um, uh, yeah, this relational experience. Now, here's another. This is also kind of fun um, that John does in his gospel. Um, some of the uh, well, the other the, the synoptic gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they they will uh, picture. Uh, eternal life as sort of uh, the life in the age to come is literally what that that kind of Greek word means, life in the age to come. So it, it's 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 ahead. Um, what John does is, and this is so cool about John, he kind of collapses uh, this idea of the life to come and the life with the life of now. Um, and so he's sort of introducing this idea that you can experience eternal life right now. And I don't know about you, but in 2020, man, I need that. I need that reminder that I can enjoy eternal life right now. And so that kind of makes me nervous that, especially in 2020, can can I, am I distracted or do I, uh, could I be missing out on the the deeper, the, the, the fullness of life um, that Jesus is, is describing here? Uh, I think of it in terms of 2D versus 3D, right? Uh, the other day, my friend Cody got one of those um, those Oculus uh, Rip uh, or Oculus Quest things, virtual reality headset. And I'd always heard about it, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just had not, never experienced it. And so I came over to his house. He let me try it on. The thing was so cool, guys. It was, it was like, so there's this tutorial where you put it on and it kind of teaches you. It sets up a safe place in your in your house. You can like mark boundaries so that you don't run into anything. Um, but then it gives you this tutorial where, you know, you can, you can do different things. You can try to grasp a paper airplane and throw it, uh, and you see it fly off. And, uh, there's this other, uh, like rocket that you can like pick up with your hand and throw, and then it kind of spins back around and kind of comes at you and you can try to catch it. It was just immersive. It was, it was so, so immersive. Um, so much better than just seeing things on a screen, right? And so that kind of picture made me think, am I missing out on the greater depth of this um, knowledge, this, this, this relationship of, of Jesus? Even, even now, am I neglecting the fuller definition? Am I living in 2D when I could be living in 3D um, with, with Jesus? Uh, so that's something that really kind of got me wrestling with this passage. Um, by the way, listen to what... Uh, John, uh, what John says earlier uh, in verse four of chapter one, he says in describing Jesus as incarnate, the incarnate word in him was life and the life was the light of mankind. 
All right. Listen to verse 10 of chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and may have it abundantly. This is Jesus talking. Have it abundantly it kind of gives you this picture that it's it's even fuller than you might expect, right? 3D life. Okay. So this is cool. Uh, so that's that's my, my that's my concern. And so part of my application for you guys here in a little bit is, is to how can we live uh, in, in this 3D relationship um, with with the Father? How can we have eternal life right now, right, um, in 3D? Uh, and, and that's in knowing God, knowing his, his goodness displayed, um, and knowing Jesus. Okay, now I want to take a step back for just a second. Uh, so John Piper, who is another author, theologian, scholar, pastor, he's, he's, he's a smart dude. Um, uh, he has this book uh, called Desiring God. Um, and basically, he's kind of giving his definition in defense of Christian hedonism is what he calls it. Uh, but listen to this. This is a quote. Christian hedonism says this. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. And that's the shortest summary of what we mean by Christian hedonism. If that is true, then there's no conflict between your greatest exhilaration and God's greatest glorification. In fact, not only is there no conflict between your happiness and God's glory, but his glory shines in your happiness when your happiness is in him. And since God is the source of greatest happiness, and since he is the greatest treasure in the world, and since his glory is the most satisfying gift he could possibly give us, Therefore, it is the kindest, most loving thing he could possibly do to reveal himself and to magnify himself and to vindicate himself for our everlasting enjoyment. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. Okay, so this, this, passage, this, uh, this quote has always stuck with me, right? God is most glorified in me when... I am most satisfied in him, or God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Again, this idea that, back to the Western Catechism, uh, that my enjoyment and my satisfaction is tied into God's, God's glory. Um, and let's, let's translate this a second, right? We already said that to glorify God was to sort of respond, to celebrate to his goodness displayed. Another name for that is worship, right? We're worshiping him. So when you think of eternally glorifying the Father, you know, it's not like we're going to be in heaven playing a harp or something and singing forever and ever. It's so much deeper than that. It is it is our, our response, our celebration of his goodness displayed. And again, the pinnacle of that is, is Jesus dying on the cross. But um, I don't know. I just love the fact that my my satisfaction in him, my joy in him is tied up into that. And, and again, I tell you all this to go back to this verse about what Jesus is saying, that, that eternal life, timer so that I'm not going to keep you too late, um, that eternal life is wrapped up in, in knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Okay, so there's something big that we're going we're gonna to do here with that in just a second. Um, let, me, let me move just forward a little bit. Uh, verse 4. I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is how I celebrated your goodness displayed, right? I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. All right. So again, Jesus laser focused on, on his, his mission. His priority is to glorify the Father. And that was by completing the work that he gave him. This verse sort of looks forward to the 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 crucifixion, death, resurrection, ascension, all that having been completed, right? So it's it's sort of looking forward to that. Um, it's summing it up in this. I have glorified you by completing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus is focused on his glory, on glorifying the Father. Jesus is, is intentional and, and, and obedient, right, with his mission, with his life. And then he says the, 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 the request, the prayer request one more time. And now, Father, Glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. Okay, so the Trinitarian kind of scholar in me likes to just geek out on this passage because, and really celebrate this passage because right here we see we see the deity of, of Jesus uh, displayed here. Right, it says, "Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created." Okay, that's exciting. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, so Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. This is sort of a reminder to, to us, too, that Jesus had glory with the Father beforehand, right? Pre kind of temporal, always been, uh, has had glory with the Father. He was by his side. And now something has changed, right? Like he is, he is on earth here. Um, I want you to remember uh, Philippians 2, uh, four, uh, verses 4 through 8. This is where Paul sort of brilliantly describes the, we call it the divine emptying, the kenosis, this idea of Jesus emptying himself of this sort of this glory. Listen, uh, it says uh, in verse 5 of, of uh, Philippians 2, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so one of the scholars was kind of describing uh, this sort of pendulum that we see uh, of Jesus's life and his trajectory, right? A pendulum. So it starts up uh, with him, you know, eternally existing with the Father and in, in glory and everything. And then it, it moves down, right? As a pendulum falls, it moves down. Jesus is, is, is incarnate. He becomes man. That's what we're about to celebrate here in, in Advent and in, in, in Christmas time. Uh, Jesus becoming man. He emptied himself. Um, and he, he lives this obedient life, uh, and he's, you know, teaching his disciples and, and, um, describing what the kingdom is like and, and getting them excited and pumped and, and ready to be sent out on a mission. And then, um, the ultimate like low is, you know, him, him dying on, on the cross, um, taking on, you know, the sins of the world and, and this, this sort of, uh, influx or uh, perfect marriage of, of shame and, and, and yet God's glory all, all happening at once. And then, he, he is dead and, and then is resurrected and then is ascended and, and then it's back up the pendulum swing, right? I, I just think that's kind of a, a cool uh, mental image there. But in this last part, and now, Father, glorify, my, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. In this last part, we're, we're reminded that, that Jesus had glory with the Father and, and he, he longs, longs for that. He, he Again, to, to know God is to, to want to, to know him more, is to want to be with him. Uh, there's actually a, 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 a Christian uh, song. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, the song is uh, to know God, to know you is to want to know you more. It's by Casting Crowns. Uh, but if you ever get a chance to listen to that song, it's very worshipful. But, but yeah, Jesus longs for the glory um, that, that he had with the Father um, before the world was created. That's a powerful verse. Uh, and just a, a picture of Jesus's life. In fact, these last two verses, this is a picture of Jesus's life of, of um, displaying God's goodness, even, even unto death on the cross, right? Um, so I think you can agree with me that from these five verses here, uh, Jesus's number one priority is to bring glory to the Father. So what does that mean then for his followers? What does that mean for us? All right. And so if Jesus' number one is priority is to bring glory to the Father, even unto death on the cross, then what does that mean for his followers? Well, we are to bring glory to God. We too are to glorify God. Our number one focus on priority should also be to glorify the, the Father and, and the Son as well. And we do that, here's sort of my kind of thesis here, we do that by knowing him and making him known. All right, now I know that's a fun, catchy phrase, know him and make him known. But, but think about it, right? Jesus defines eternal life as glorifying, I'm sorry, Jesus defines eternal life as, as this, um, this knowing deeply relationally, um, not just head knowledge, but, but heart and relationship knowledge, uh, knowing God and Jesus whom you sent. Okay, so that's, and, and wrapped up in that, just like Piper and some of these other guys were trying to point out, that is, that is recognizing the goodness that we have, um, recognizing God's glory, his goodness displayed, okay? And then, just like Jesus made him known, glorified the Father, die on the cross, we too have a responsibility in making him known, all right? So, I said 3D, uh, that 3D uh, knowledge, that 3D relationship experience of, of Jesus, uh, of eternal life. Uh, so I'm going to give you um, some some. Th I'm going to give you three Ds. 
sorry for being cheesy, but I want to give you three V's uh, to, to really understand what it is to bring glory to God. Um, and so here's your first D, okay? Delight in his goodness. All right, so um, delight in his goodness. So in order to delight in his goodness, that requires you to recognize God's goodness in your own life, okay? So um, something Paul does, um, I'm sorry, not Paul, uh, John, um, I'm sorry, Peter. Uh, uh, let's see, Peter was saying, uh, so Peter says, uh, you know, that we're a, we're a kingdom, uh, we're, we're, a, we're, we're priests, a royal priesthood, um, and that uh, we should be proclaiming the virtues of the one who called us out of darkness and into uh, everlasting life. What, what Peter does there is fascinating to me. He's saying, uh, re remember that God called you out of darkness and brought you into, into life. There's something neat there that he does, and I think we need to do it too. We need to remind ourselves um, of, of the goodness of God. The God, the gospel is literally the good news, right? Is literally good news. Um, and I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we'll forget how good the good news is, right? We need to tell each other the gospel often. We need to be rem remembering the gospel. Uh, when I teach my college students how to share the gospel, specifically their testimony, part of that testimony, part of that development is for them to remember what was the darkness that God called you out of? What was it that he saved you from? Think back in your own life. Uh, for some, it was maybe pride or selfishness or apathy or drugs or addiction to video games, right? I mean, it was it was slavery to this stuff. So delight in his goodness. The first is delight in his goodness. Another way to say that is count your blessings. Think back on all the ways that the God, that God has put his goodness on display in your life. And then let that cause you to celebrate, right? Uh, that is literally what, uh, that is our definition for the glorify is, is our response, our celebration to the goodness of God. So delight in his goodness. That is going to help you to live in this, this 3D, uh, this 3D understanding of, 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 of God and, and knowing God um, and glorifying God. So delight in his goodness. So the second one, develop your relationship with him. All right. Now, this is where I say quiet times are important. <laughs> uh, having your devotional time with the Lord is so important because you're, then you're reminded, right? It, it, this, this also helps you to, the, to do the first D, to delight in his goodness. But develop your relationship with him relationships take time, just like, like with me and my, my wife, you know, I spend time with her. I get to know her even 10 years into our marriage. Like I, I need to be having date nights and, 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 and knowing her and, and learn and hearing about her, spending time with her and, and our relationship with God is, is, is no, no different. Or, you know, maybe it's, it's in order to get to know, um, a student, uh, I teach my students to, to, they can, they can be evangelistic uh, by relationships. And so I, I encourage them to get to know their classmates, even online, which is kind of what we're stuck to right now. Um, you know, spend time, find, find a way to get to know somebody in your classroom, or maybe it's a coworker, right? Um, maybe there's that coworker that's always kind of awkward and sort of the outcast of the bunch. What would it be like for you to just spend time and, and get to know your coworker? It requires you to spend time, and, and our relationship with God is, is no different. Going back to that, it is no different. It requires us to spend time, and so then ask yourself, what would it take for your relationship with God to thrive, to flourish? Um, and so, so spend time with the Lord. Um, get that discipline of, of spending time with the Lord in devotional uh, or in reading your, your your Bible and praying. Um, man, listen to what the psalmist says in 34 verse eight. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, Psalm 42, um, one through two, uh, we know the song as a deer longs for streams of water. So I long for you, O God, I thirst for the living God. What would it be like if, if our relationship with, with the father and, and with the son and, and with God is, is described as a longing, right? Like you long to spend time with them. You taste and see that it is good. Um, I think there's something there. And I think as we develop our relationship with him, that's where we're going to really start to see the 3D uh, eternal life, this 3D, this, this eternal life um, understanding even, even now. Enjoy, we can enjoy eternal life even now by developing uh, our relationship with him. And then the last D is to display his goodness to others. Now, this one takes a little bit of uh, risk, okay? 
this one takes risk, the personal risk of, of sharing the good news of, of the gospel with others, right? So you're risking maybe that awkward moment, right? When you go and tell your coworker, hey, I know you don't have a whole lot of hope right now. Let me tell you what gives me hope. Let me tell you who gives me hope, right? There's that awkward moment that maybe you forget what to say or you stumble or maybe you're risking rejection and that can happen too. But I, I want you uh, to know that that risk is worth it, right? Uh, again, the definition of eternal life, uh, that, they, that they know you. Uh, there's there's so much goodness to be found in knowing God and knowing Jesus. That is worth the risk. And, and going back to the synoptic gospel understanding of eternal life, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. Uh, let's 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 take that risk and share uh, God's goodness to somebody else so that they too can enjoy eternal life. Um, enjoy God's goodness. That's the most loving thing we could do. Is is to share that goodness with somebody else, right? So it's worth the risk, take the risk. So again, here's your three Ds, delight in his goodness, develop your relationship with him, and then three, display his goodness to others. Now, let me give you uh, one last, I'll, I'll wrap up here, uh, but let me give you kind of, well, let me just share some opportunities. Um, and this is the part where I tell you a little about BSM. Um, our BSM uh, is in this unique position. Uh, we have developed some relationships with the university, uh, the, uh, the, the international student office. Uh, they trust us. Uh, and it, it is such a blessing that the Lord has allowed us to have favor with them. Uh, they allow us to, in, in a pre-pandemic world, they allowed us uh, to pick up their international students from, from the airport um, and then give them rides to, to, their, to their residences uh, here near the university. Um, and so this is exciting, right? We, we, have, we have the time it takes to, to be the first person that greets them uh, as they arrive in the United States, many of them for the first time. And then we take them in a car and in that maybe 30 minute, if traffic isn't bad, ride from DFW to campus, we got a chance to form a relationship and to serve them, to exchange phone numbers and find out, hey, do you have a, a bank yet? Do you, do you know where to go to get a, a cell phone, a SIM card? Do you, do you know where the grocery stores are? Do you need to go to Ikea? Can, can, can we help you? Like we can exchange information with them and serve them um, and behold, like a relationship is formed, right? So um, at any rate, um, after this pandemic is subsided, Lord's Godspeed that day, um, we're going to return to that and we're going to be able to serve international students and I know this is one of the things that I've been talking to Pastor Paul about uh, as an opportunity for you to display his goodness to others by serving, uh, just like Jesus served, on, served at the cross ultimately, right? So, um, so that's one opportunity. Um, also, pre-pandemic, we were able to do what we call the, the, the free lunch. Um, every Tuesday, uh, we would feed about uh, 300 or so uh, college students um, because one of the secrets to ministering to college students is through their tummies, feeding them, right? The good, good Baptists always have food, right? And so uh, breaking bread, something special happens. And interestingly, or maybe not surprisingly, uh, our biggest uh, uh, audience was international students. And so these students come and sit down at tables and at each table, we have a table host positioned. And on the table, there are questions designed to kind of get you to enter into a, a spiritual conversation. And it's, it's not ramming the gospel down their throats. It's very much an invitation. It's designed to, to invite and to be a safe place to talk. And in fact, I kid you not, I have students that tell me often, hey, I could have eaten by myself. In fact, if I did, you know, it's just, it's, it's just awkward. And I'm by myself. I'm lonely. I'm, I'm lonely as it is. I feel safe to come to this free lunch and sit and talk. Um, and so what we find is that these students come each week consistently and they sit at the same tables where some of our hosts stay at those tables uh, and keep coming back to those tables. So they're able to form a relationship with these students. And it is beautiful. And guys, by the way, this is fascinating. But some of my most successful tables are led by senior adults. OK, no lie. I've got this like he's in his late 70s. Uh, the international students view him as, as this wise and loving guy. And there are about six um, Muslim background students that sit with them. Um, and they just love him. And they hear his stories and they invite him to, to like uh, coding competitions and, and things like that. 
And so he goes and then he invites them to things that are happening at his, at his church and they go because of the relationship. It, it's, it's beautiful. So, so that's free lunch. Um, and uh, there's just tons of ways to serve international students. Uh, by the way, one of your house churches is, is joining us. Uh, actually, this was all their idea. They're, they're, they're going to provide uh, Thanksgiving meals uh, for, for, for our international students that are, that are here as a way to serve them and to display the goodness of God. Um, so there's just all sorts of fun ways that we can do this. And I'm super honored and thrilled that your, your church would, would, would do that and consider that. Um, but again, th there's tons of ways, uh, as Pastor Paul was saying, uh, it's, it's sort of the diamond that's right here in our backyard. It's, it's this mission field here. And by the way, because of the pandemic, we've got international students that are stuck here, right? I mean, they are stuck. They can't go back to family because of the quarantines and traveling and visa issues. Uh, so there's just so much opportunity. Um, okay, so those are your three Ds. Delight in his goodness, develop your relationship with him, display his goodness to others. Um, one more thing that I want to close with, and I promise this is it, I swear. Um, for those of you here that do not know God, I want to say this. To know God is to be transformed. To know God is to have real life, have it abundantly. And in order to be in introduced to that, to that life, um, you have to come to know Jesus. Okay, so John 3, 16, this verse is probably the first one that a lot of people memorize. Uh, let me read it. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. So. I challenge you, if you do not know God, there is, you're not living. <laughs> I mean, there is life to be found, abundant life, beyond what you're expected, 3D life found, and that's by knowing Jesus, and that's only through knowing Jesus. And so I, I, I guess I just want to implore you, reach out to Pastor Paul, reach out to some of the many house churches here, keep coming on Sunday uh, so that you can remind each other of 3D living. All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you have conquered this world, Father. Thank you so much for sending your son to display your goodness perfectly on the cross um, and, and redeeming us. Lord, your goodness is, is so amazing and so rich. It is eternal life. It is to know you as eternal life, Lord, and we celebrate that. So we're thankful for Jesus' work on the cross. We're thankful that you are glorified most when we are most satisfied in you, Lord. Uh, you are not selfish. You, you are selfless. You are the definition of selfless, Lord. You, you long for us um, to be fully satisfied in you. You long for us to delight in your goodness, um, and, and you long for a relationship with us. Uh, so, Father, would we do that? Would we delight in your goodness? Father, would we develop our relationship with you? Let us thrive there, Father. And then, Father, would you help us to display your goodness to others, just like Jesus did, Lord? Uh, would we follow Jesus's example by prioritizing bringing glory to you, God? And, Father, uh, we are thankful for this body. Uh, Lord, bless uh, Forest Church, Father. Bless them, Lord. Uh, bless Pastor Paul um, as he takes vacation, Lord. Restore him. And, um, Father, uh, energize him, and uh, Lord, may he shepherd uh, his congregation well, Father, and would you continue to use your, your, your body here to display your goodness on the, the earth. Lord, we love you, Son Jesus, and we pray. Amen.